Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Manx TT Superbikes. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Jellical boys with jellical toys. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! As you may have noticed, we have rebranded and launched ourselves properly into our top 50 second season of our three cents and to celebrate this we've also launched a patreon page which is very 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 exciting on there you can pledge to support us in a financial way and we will reciprocate with so many wonderful things that uh, it, it will i mean it might be hard it might be hard actually to comprehend uh, loads of bonuses like social media shout outs bonus episodes, deleted scenes, even the opportunity to record an episode with us of your choosing, custom artwork, I mean, loads of stuff. Just, I mean, oh, go and have a little look. www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents. Have a little look, see what you can get, and we would absolutely love it if you could pledge a little to support what we're doing here so that we can grow and make this even better. So, this week, we have our number 49s. Wowzers. But before we do that, it is time to check in with the quiz situation. The <sighs> situation quiz. No, the quizuation. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> so the score is currently 27-23 in favour of Chris. Minty managed to snag a couple of bonus points, but Chris has still managed to maintain what can only be described as a four-point lead. <laughs> Not for long, though. Which 1986 Nintendo game is set in the fantasy land of Hyrule? Legends of Zelda! And... Straight in there. I mean, in terms of the balance of difficulty of these questions, I mean, this is a world away from the Otzel fiasco that we had. It's not even a real animal. Oh, I'm so cross about that still. But there we go. Minty has, has, has clawed one back. It is now 27-24. So, before we launch into what we've been playing this week, we've had another question come in from the social media sphere. Oh, yes. Ewan Gwynn has thrown a question our way based on a tweet from at Wylaley asking, which location in a video game would we love to live? Oh, how lovely. It's a lovely question. I mean, it's a lovely question. On, on the Twitter thread, there's a lot of lovely examples like Kakariko Village in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. A lot of people said, oh, I just want to live in my Animal Crossing town, which I understand as well. What do you guys think? Chris? I think I would like to spend time on one of the, the three following fictional islands. I'm not fussy which one. <laughs> Either the, the island that's generated in Proteus, ah. I think would be a lovely place to, to spend, especially in kind of like the, the summer moments of that game. The island in The Witness oh, yeah. for, for a similar kind of feeling because it's just it feels so sun-drenched and it's it's lovely like, uh, like summery colour palettes and all things built in. Or like you just mentioned, the, the island from Animal Crossing New Leaf. I think is always a really nice uh, place to spend the evening. Yeah. And I think any of those could be like a little digital paradise. I'd, I'd happily just have a little deck chair looking out to sea on, on any one of those three. Much like the Swan Inn in Westgate. Just a very nice place to be. <laughs> Minty, what do you think? My choice would be the Den of Guilds, Darngrest, from Tales of Vesperia. Ah. Ooh. It's one of those lovely old style towns where... Buildings are white, and they have like the, the like the dark wood going across bits and pieces of it. It's all cobbled streets, and it is where the guild union is based, which came into existence because they basically rebelled against the empire. 
Lovely. Sounds very nice. Sounds like Canterbury. And during the day, the town is in perpetual sunset due to the refraction of sunlight through the unstable air. That sounds beautiful. Hmm. What about you, Jonathan? Well, I've seen those questions before where it's like, if you were going to live in a fictional world, what would it be? Like, even stuff like, oh, I'd love to live in the world of Harry Potter, for example. But for me, the answer to that question is always pokemon i want to live in the pokemon world and also i was thinking about oh, where would i like to live though if it was in if it was in the pokemon world and and the one that struck me was Fortree city from pokemon sapphire which is Ooh. entirely sort of constructed of tree houses and you're this it's um, this town is based up in the trees and it's it's beautiful and it's it's right on the sort of the cusp of these uh, wetlands where there's lots of interesting weather and lots of interesting wildlife and it looks like it would be Having just spent like, you know, a week in sort of tropical jungle sort of climate in Sri Lanka, feels like that would be, I'd be very comfortable there. And, you know, as with all Pokemon locations, uh, I'd just get on a bike and I'd cycle across the island in about 10 minutes and go to another <laughs> town if I wanted. And I'd be the very best. So I think I'd be very happy in Fortree City. Very happy. A Pokemon master. I think we'd all have a lovely time in any of those places. And it'd be really nice because we could take it in turns to go and visit the others and record this podcast uh, once a week and in these different locations. I think we'd have a lovely time. Let's let's do that. Let's make this happen. <laughs> let's, let's just get it done. <laughs> Feel free to tweet us or get on our Facebook page and let us know where you would like to live in a video game. would like to know. So what have we been playing this week? Chris? This week I've, I've played a little bit of quite a lot, if that makes sense, because I've... I spent the last week or two basically messing around with a new gadget I bought myself for my gaming setup, and I got myself uh, an open source scanline converter, which essentially is a little box that allows you to plug in old consoles into big 4K screens. Oh, lovely! And it really has been like transformative for for all my retro stuff. So I've I've spent time just like essentially like five minutes here and there with different games on the Saturn, on my N64, on my original Xbox, on my PS2, and everything looks incredible. Like I had a few of these set up in the past with like an HD screen. Yeah. And they always look a little bit smeary. They always kind of have like a bit of delay to them just because the TV's having to process like a SCART signal. Yeah. And what this what this little box, the OSSC, does is it deals with any sort of interlacing, deals with the upscaling, it deals with like line doubling if you want, or scan lines or whatever to make your image look as crisp and clean as you want yeah but it doesn't add any perceptible lag to your setup at all wow uh, and it's it's just made me really excited to play some older games again like for for most of my collection like for real retro stuff we're going back to like mega drive era i tend to use like emulation these days because it's more convenient it's yeah. you can have everything in one place but for most of these consoles i mentioned there's not really a a decent solution yet outside of having like a monster pc to to emulate so i mean certainly not for the saturn at all yeah yeah it's just it's not there yet and the ossc is is something i've been putting off buying for a while because it's not super cheap but if there's anyone out there who does play retro stuff and is frustrated with how they look on like a bigger flat panel or monitor this is the best solution by far i think it really really has been good in terms of like more contemporary games the only thing i've spent a little bit of time with this week is i've been playing a game called mutant year zero on the ps4 it's a pretty interesting mix of like open world exploration and stealth but all the battles are like XCOM style turn-based combat oh nice yeah and it, it looks really nice and I like the world to it and it, it's, it's already nice 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 I keep saying nice but it's also <laughs> so fucking hard it makes me want to cry like at, <laughs> at, at the moment I'm only Aww. I'm only a few hours into the game and every encounter I've got to now seems impossible oh dear and I don't know if that's because I've like specced myself wrong or I need to kind of boost boost the experience of my characters or something but you, you always have like a three-man squad that you're moving about. Every battle you're outnumbered, meaning that you, you can either try and sort of flank your opponents, 
but then I always seem to have one character just bleed out because they're too far away to get any medical assistance once they're down. Yeah. Or group them all together to try and help each other out, and then they all just seem to get murdered by enemies with area of effect attacks. Hmm. So it's it's a game that I don't know how much more I'll persist because I really want to like it. Like I, I like the whole uh, concept of it. I, I like kind of how it's produced. I like the feeling of that sort of backwards and forwards between exploration and battle. But yeah, either the difficulty scaling is off base or I'm just too much of a dunce to play it properly. <laughs> so I guess it could be uh, back to Rabbids Kingdom, <laughs> which is the last time I actually enjoyed yeah. one of these games because it was just so nicely accessible. Speaking of incredibly hard games, I have been playing the uh, flagellation simulation game that is blasphemous. Ooh. Ooh. Because there's nothing truly new under the sun, it's best described as a cross <laughs> between Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dead Cells, Dead Cells, and Dante's Inferno, if anyone played that. It's got the art style and theme of something like Dante's Inferno, but with a uh, Souls-like sort of structure, and it plays out on a 2D sort of Metroidvania playing like Dead Cells. As with any Souls-like game, it becomes fun once you break the back of it. Uh, I had a bit of a harder time breaking the back of it than I thought I would, but that's only because uh, well, I came to realise that the area I decided to tackle first is actually meant to be tackled quite a bit later in the game, and there was a fairly sort of breezy area that was designed to be your the first area to sort of introduce you to a few of the mechanics and not overwhelm you with insanely tough enemies straight off the bat. I mean, to be honest, the area probably isn't actually that breezy, but after I'd cut my teeth on a much harder section, when I came back to then tackle that area, it was an absolute piece of cake. But it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a credit to the game design that it, it sort of drops you into this world with little explanation or guidance and you slowly find your way and your place in it. And yeah, I mean, much like Dark Souls, when you realise you have a handle on things, it, it becomes very, very satisfying and, and, and rewarding. I've just got to the final boss and I maybe attempted it about a dozen times last night and haven't I just had a couple of times where I got very, very close, like a couple of hits away, really desperate just to beat it. And then I can move <laughs> on wholeheartedly to Snack World to uh, tide me over until Animal Crossing, which is my plan. Have you played any of Snack World? Yet? Well, I've, I've started it up and I've created my character which is, is always fun. And uh, my favourite thing is that when you're um, picking the voice type for your character, such as like heroic or brave or gruff or whatever, I managed to pick the surprisingly apt unfit voice <laughs> style, which means that all of his sort of roles and attacks are like, ah, oh, oh God. Just a simulation of real life. Exactly, yeah. And, and already it's, it's totally drenched in food puns. So I know I'm going to have a great time with it and uh, I'm looking forward to diving in properly. I'm, I'm really keen to play it. As my wife observed, though, I basically I started a diet last week. And my, my one rule is very simple. is just I'm basically just going to only stick to eating my three meals a day. That's it. Nothing in between. No yeah. snacks. And when Sammy, uh, I said to her, I said, oh, yeah, I've got a new game. It's really good. It's called Snack World. And she was like, <laughs> what? So what are you doing? Like you said, that's your one rule is no snacks. And you're literally going to be role playing as someone snacking. And it's like, I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even realize like, I was like, oh God, I really can't, I can't take care of myself. So, um, yeah. 
<laughs> we'll see how that pans out in terms of my um yeah i might just have to double it up with ring fit adventure and... <laughs> back and forward between the two uh, minty what have you been playing this week well i've been chugging away on saints of the third i completed it yesterday great fun oh well done thanks my wife asked if there were any fun two-player games that we could play with the request that it not be a fighting game and it not be a shooting game so we can't play smash brothers or doom which i think are the only two <laughs> two-player games that i have so i thought oh you know I'll, I'll, I'll go on another demo bender and see uh, see if there's anything fun that we can play so i got mm-hmm. as far as completing the demo for pokemon mystery dungeon dx which, don't tell her, but that's a single-player game. I just wanted to play it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also <laughs> I also uh, started the demo for Woodle Tree Adventures 2. Is it better than the first, Minty? Let's do that. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it's still <laughs> Shit. nowhere near good. <laughs> no. You know, it's just, oh, it's just a wet tissue stuck to the sole of your shoe of a game. So that's it. Uh, still looking for recommendations if anybody has them. Two-player games that aren't shooting or fighting. Let us know. Let us know, world. That'd be great. So, should we move on to the rankings? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's start this week with Minty. This week, I'm going to be talking about a cool game. Ooh. Not just in a, like a, you know, like a, oh, this is, this, I like this game, it is good kind of cool way. But it's probably, I think, Nintendo's coolest game ever. Oh, wow, okay. Everything about it is cool. It drips cool. The music is cool. The levels are cool. The names of the levels are cool. All the characters are cool. The, the way you race <laughs> against like 30 people at once and can destroy them is cool. The vehicle customization is cool. The story mode is cool. The backstory is cool. What isn't cool, though, is the fact that F-Zero GX is the last Ooh. game in the series that we've had. For me, F-Zero GX hit the sweet spot of being fast enough to really get the blood pumping, but also, you know, easy to play and winning being fairly achievable. I think I managed to get a fair way into the hard levels on Grand Prix mode and I think halfway through Story Mode Plus before I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is this is about where my ability plateaus, so... Here's my limit, here's my spout. <laughs> 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 so I need to start practicing in earnest and figure out which craft is right for me. Unfortunately, that's the point where my GameCube started to die. Oh, I can't, I can't handle like the the, the newer iterations of such games like um, Fast Remix, etc. Because they are they're just too fast. Actually, they're too fast. Mm. The controls feel a little sloppy, and I'm dying every five seconds before you know finishing in eleventh place. Uh, there's there's difficult and then there's just being really rubbish at a game and then there's i've paid 20 quid just to keep losing repeatedly and i respect myself too much not to be about that life anymore especially since uh, i stopped playing in the five-a-side league <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that was that was challenging for yeah for our um morale what a, wasn't it? <laughs> what a dark time in our lives the thing I love most about this game, though, is just how gratuitously sci-fi it is. It's like uh, they, they, they got a lot of nerdy kids into a room and said, what's the best thing about space? And they'd say things like, oh, meteor storms, aliens, massive skyscraper cities covering a whole planet, terraforming, capitalism sweeping over the galaxy like a pestilent cloak giving rise to entire cities becoming casinos. <laughs> The infinite outward expanse of the universe, meaning that everything that can conceivably exist 
does exist, including hell, where people should be able to escape and participate in futuristic races. <laughs> Most developers would probably say stuff like, that's, uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the feedback. We're just going to, you know, make everything metal and flashy and <laughs> maybe we'll do it all in night time. But then Nintendo takes every single one of these ideas and says, yeah, yes, yes, it's a racetrack now. Yes. <laughs> I really want another F-Zero game. And I hope that enough people bought Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or the Wii U DLC to make them realise that Big Blue and Mute City were really great tracks and we should have loads more of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, what a, what a great game. One of the first games I got on my GameCube was a race game called Extreme G3 Racing. It's not bad. No, it's not it, a bad game. I really enjoyed it. It's a futuristic bike racing game. It's very much in the same vein as, as F-Zero. But it, it yeah... Ugh. It just got too fast, too quick, and it wasn't fun. It was impossible. Like it, I had, to, you could unlock cheats and turn on like infinite shield or whatever, and then it was quite fun. And I had a similar sort of thing with F Zero GX, but I think it was a lot better balanced, and you could really sort of tweak how you customized your your ship and your craft. So I was always thinking like, okay, well, why doesn't this work? Let's go back and and tweak a bit and try again. And and it was just always so fun. It was great, and can you, it would look so nice. A new one would look so nice on. Uh, the switch and oh it'd be great it'd be great and yeah i'd love to see a new one as well mm. i mean i i played a lot of f0x on the n64 yeah and then because i didn't have a gamecube I, I played gx like with other people probably with me it probably was and it, it's not a game that i've spent that much time with really like solo like i did with uh, f0x so I, I would like to play it one day because i i know it's really well revered and it, it is very very quick and it's very very shiny and all these nice things and, and it's a series I, I really liked up until that point so you know I'm, I'm sure I would get a lot out of it if I actually sat down and gave it an afternoon to play. Have you ever come across in the arcade the arcade version F-Zero AX? No did, did it come out in this country? I don't know. I know it was the time when when arcades could kind of died a bit and they don't have a cabinet at arcade club. That was going to be my next question. Yeah if, if it was there I, I would definitely have given it a go. Research time! It was released in Japan, Europe, and uh, North America. So it could could exist somewhere. could be out there somewhere. Google suggests. Aha, here we go. Worldwide arcade cabinet locations. Fuck, this is cool. It's a, like a Google map of where all of the cabinets for F-Zero AX are. Really? Oh, cool. There's two in the UK. Whereabouts? <laughs> Butlins, Bognor Regis. <laughs> of course. <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have an away day. <laughs> and, ridiculously, Minty, there is one in Croydon. Really? Well. Yeah, Heart of Gaming. It's a place called Heart of Gaming. The Whitgift Centre. Oh, the Whitgift, yes. Mm. There's one in there. So there you go. Next time you're home, well, I might come with you and we can go and play F-Zero AX. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Minty. It's not on my list, but it's one that I really, really loved on the GameCube. And uh, yeah, it's nice to, nice to have the opportunity to, to remember it. Hmm. Would you like to know what my 49th favourite video game is? Of course. Please tell us. So my 49th favourite video game is the second in its series that has appeared on my list so far. It's a threequel to that game and one of only a handful of PC games that appear on my predominantly console-dominated list. Any inkling what it might be? Thief. Thief 3. It is 2004's stealth game Thief Deadly Shadows. Yes! <laughs> we both got it. Both We're good. Got it. <laughs> so when I spoke 41 weeks ago about my 90th favourite video game, Thief the Dark Project, I talked about how I fell in love with the stealth-em-up genre. Was it really that long ago? Yeah, well, it was my 90th. Wow, we've got great memories. I mean, fair play. 
yeah, when I talked about the original Thief game, I talked about how I loved the stealth up genre, how I love being able to consider my movements and take my time instead of going in all guns blazing, as you play as Garrett, the gruff rogue, a medieval Han Solo looting his way to restore justice in a steampunk Victoriana fantasy-tinged Dark Age world. God, that's a string of adjectives, wasn't it? <laughs> I briefly mentioned about how the developers stepped everything up a gear in Thief 2, the Metal Age, and, and really refined the world, its atmosphere, what it, what it did well, you know. Uh, this game really saw them step it up by a whole generation. They had the tech developments to approach the game in a new way, and uh, Looking Glass Studio, who developed the first two games, had sadly shut down, so it was a team of developers called Ion Storm who were developing this one. But that also actually helped to lend a fresh perspective to the series. Given the fact that I haven't mentioned the second game in my list yet, you'll gather that I think the new direction wasn't all for the better, or, you know, didn't enjoy it quite as much, but it's still ended up as a game that I had a a wonderful, wonderful time with. One of the big things that made me punch the air when I heard about this game being developed was the fact that the original voice actor for Garrett, a chap called Stephen Russell, was returning to, to voice the character again. And I mean, His vocal work on the first two games were some of the major factors in, in what made the game so enjoyable. And it was, it was so much fun. It had so much character to it. And, and me and my brother loved listening to it and just quoting it. And it was, it was great. And it was so nice to see that this new studio were respecting the the you know the heritage of the series in in doing this and and having him come back so the first big new thing that this game brought to the series was it well it was right there in the title deadly shadows or certainly the shadows part they weren't trying to kill you in fact shadows were your friend so if anything it should have been called friendly shadows but that probably doesn't marry up with the sinister overtones of the presentation (laughs) so for the first time the game's lighting engine was sophisticated enough to play a whole new part in how you played before areas were either lit or in the shadows and you could manipulate the environment to give yourself more shadows to operate in but in deadly shadows you also cast a shadow and guards cast shadows as well and and that was something that could give you away as much as making noise or leaving a dead body on display in order to make this more tangible for the player you could also play the game in third person rather than the traditional first person affairs of the first two games and and this ended up being actually well yeah this ended up actually being the way that i played the game even though you had the option to play in first person it it meant that you had a much wider sense of your environment you could see a bit further you could sort of pan the camera around and see around corners which allowed you to operate more swiftly and smoothly making you feel like you know like an absolute badass which was which was just great fun something else that was new in this game was the fact that there was uh, sort of like a linking overworld between missions that you return to each time simply called the city it was this big sprawling map that was i mean it was really alive and populated with all kinds of npcs and patrolling guards and it really helped expand the world and and its and its lore you know, not only could you go and find your fence and sell your loot and find places to buy new equipment or whatever, there, there were little side missions you could do and, and, I mean, so many secrets to be found as you sort of snuck around knocking out guards, climbing across the rooftops and jumping in through windows, scaring the house staff. It was just a proper, like, exploring, thiefing experience. One of the big things in this area was the fact that there were two warring factions living in this world. And this is something that had been touched upon in the previous games and was sort of central to the game's fantastical elements. 
and you've got these two sort of societies these two sects you have the hammers which are a society that are sort of firmly about progressing technology and order in this world and then you have the pagans who are set on harnessing the deeper magical elements at work and you know they don't want to see their sort of beloved sacred pieces of nature destroyed by the impending mechanical revolution there are certain things you can do in the game that will align you with either side and then you'll allow you to access some of their areas to gain new powers and missions and stuff and i mean this whole setup just it made this world that i loved just feel huge and alive and you know whilst it was really grim and dark and dangerous like what we were talking about earlier it's probably a location i'd live in i just wanted to spend time in it it was just so cool <laughs> you just wanted to call someone a taffer i just wanted to call someone a taffer in the friendly shadows <laughs> Taffer was the sort of fictional swear word that they use. So instead of calling yeah, someone something... A pejorative. Yeah, that's it. So uh, you'd hear guards be like, Come out here, you Taffer! Or, you know, are you taffing me? And uh, yeah, that was, that was also something that we loved and quoted. But I feel that they really struck the balance right with the tone of the game too. Whereas I sort of criticised the original Thief game for leaning too much into its horror slash fantasy side... I mean, I absolutely loved the more kind of mechanist-led storyline of Thief 2, the more steampunk-led storyline of Thief 2. And Deadly Shadows really sort of balanced both sides of, of the world in, in its missions. So you still had, like, classic break into a mansion, loot the joint, knock out the bell end at the top of the tower and frame him for murder sort of type missions. And you also have then, like, the creepy dark pagan cult missions as well. And but I loved it. Like, the, the final mission of the game was, was just a great reward as well. As you break into this grand museum that's in the city and you have to uh, avoid all of the patrolling guards, not trigger any of the booby traps protecting the artwork, and you just have to steal absolutely everything. And it's such a fun way to close the game. And it meant that you had to sort of employ everything you'd learned along the way to get to the end. And it's just, it summed up what thieving was all about. <laughs> and, and apart from the fact that there were no consequences and you're rewarded for your, for your crimes. However, the level that stands out to me and is the level that remains with everyone who has played it is a level called Robbing the Cradle. And this is a level that takes place in an abandoned, haunted orphanage and mental asylum called Shalebridge Cradle. <laughs> and we spoke last Halloween about the games that scared us the most. And I can honestly say that actually this level is the scariest thing I've played in a video game ever. You first see this monolithic building as you approach it, and it just feels so overwhelmed. It's just so foreboding. And then you open the door, and the most chilling, oppressive noises start to rattle around the corridors. And I genuinely felt frozen in fear and really had to battle myself to actually tackle the mission at all. I genuinely thought, I thought, well, it was quite near the end of the game, and I'd enjoyed the game up until then, but it's just, not, I'm not going to complete the game so it because uh, i can't do this but fortunately <laughs> i had my brother alex to hand who diligently sat with me whilst i did and uh i mean he, I mean, he literally literally held my hand through the ordeal it's just a kind of a masterclass in in horror game design it's it's so clever in what it does it's the level is kind of split into two areas you've got the outer cradle and then you've got the inner cradle and the genius thing that it does is it, you start obviously in the outer cradle the game, it, it, I mean, like I said, it terrifies you beyond belief, but there's actually no threat at all. There's no danger because, I mean, there are no enemies anywhere, but you don't know that. And you're just so on edge and consumed by this atmosphere. You're just, you're terrified of what there might be. 
and every time there isn't something around the corner that terror just grows and grows because you know that something is coming and the longer it takes it's just yeah and then you enter the inner cradle and then there are all manner of monstrosities in there you've got screaming ghosts you've got spooky children you've got the reanimated bodies of former inmates called puppets who are just roaming the corridors that wheeze and moan and rattle in their chains i mean there's a flooded basement and a broken lift and and, i mean oh it's yeah it's uh (laughs) it's extraordinary palette of horror and the whole story of the level is told in a non-linear fashion as you're sort of transported between time periods through the memories of the souls that are trapped there. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's an incredible experience. It's one that I'm not keen to revisit, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about and, and just how incredible it is and what, what just fantastic game design it is. A real kind of standout mission from, from a game that is absolutely superb. Before I finish, quick shout out to Eric Brosius, who is the composer of the game. And like his superb atmospheric soundscape is just, it generates so much atmosphere that is created and, and lends so much to the overall experience. And it, it, it's just, it's brilliant. It's understated. It's fantastic. And I even actually used a track from the soundtrack in one of the films that I made in film school. So uh, thank Ooh. you for that, Eric. <laughs> and please don't sue me. <laughs> So there we go. Thief, Deadly Shadows, 49th favourite video game. Top stuff. They're scary games. Yeah. Just, just the, I, I found the, the atmosphere of just the regular missions quite, not, not spooky, because a lot of the time it was just mm. when, you're, when you're sneaking about to steal stuff. But It's just really tense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the tension thing. Uh, and like I said, when, yeah. we, when we did the horror stuff, it's that feeling means I can't play lots of games yeah. and, and Thief is a series I'll probably never give any time to really outside of having watched you play bits back in the day Yeah, because uh, yeah it's, it's too much for my poor little heart <laughs> love you well tell us then Chris what's your 49th favourite video game both myself and Jonathan are Arsenal Football Club fans yes we are who do you support Minty out of interest I support Crystal Palace uh, yeah I know but doing better than Arsenal at the moment so enjoy that yeah. but yeah so my, my family itself like personally we've got a lineage to the club uh, because my great granddad lived in Plumstead which at the time was very near the Manor Ground Stadium which is where Royal Arsenal and then Woolwich Arsenal were in the late 1800s and early 1900s so we've, we've kind of got like a, a few generations going back and that's why my whole family supports Arsenal now and when I first started going to matches, Arsenal had obviously long since moved to Highbury, uh, at the ground they were at, at the time. They dropped the, the prefix to the names. They weren't Woolwich or Royal Arsenal anymore. They were just Arsenal Football Club. But most importantly for this kind of long-winded intro is that they had Sega and Dreamcast as their club sponsors. Yes, they did. Oh, yes. Now, what this meant for me is that there was an added additional spectacle then to any games I would go and visit it and see because not only did I get to see a club in their kind of ascendancy that was like you know the best Arsenal I've ever been oh yeah and and, you know the less we mentioned the last what decade of form the better (laughs) but it meant that I also got to spend time before each game like fawning over these posters of like Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp playing Virtus Striker (laughs) and drooling at these like Dreamcast demo booths that were set up around the North Bank concourse because no one I knew at the time had a Dreamcast it was like this mythical console that I'd read about in magazines and this was the only place I really got to see it and I never owned a Dreamcast during its actual production run. So like the early 2000s, I never had a console. It's only much, much later I picked one up. But I was always really jealous of the games that those who did were able to play. 
And before each match started, they'd, they'd have large screens around the stadium and they'd essentially just play like sizzle reels of, of Dreamcast games. So every time I'd go to a match, I'd see this footage of games like Sonic Adventure. I'd see games like Jet Set Radio. And most importantly for this story, because this is my 49th favorite video game, is Fantasy Star Online. Ah. Now, Fantasy Star Online is, is one of the first console attempts at like a massively multiplayer online RPG. Yeah. So it's, it's in essence, it's an MMO not a million miles away from games that would define the genre like World of Warcraft or EverQuest or, or anything like that. And it was a game at the time that was surrounded by buzz and hype. And although I didn't know anyone who, who was actually whiling away the hours over like a 56k modem to play it, <laughs> I, I absorbed enough of like the footage I'd see on these screens to just cement the game in the back of my mind as something that I always wanted to play. And, you know, the, the Dreamcast came and went. It died in about 2001, just a couple of years after its launch. But Fantasy Star Online, it lived on. Like, it got ports to the original Xbox. It got ports to the GameCube and later even to the PC. And on each platform, the game would always have, like, a relatively small but very dedicated fan base who, who would just play and play and play. And it seemed that it was always, like, the gold standard for how to make an action-focused online RPG work on a console, despite the fact that, really, at that time, the infrastructure wasn't there for what we, we know now as, like, an MMO. Now, me personally, I, I didn't play PSO until 2018, so much, much later. But when I did play it, I played Fantasy Star Online for probably maybe a fortnight, like two solid weeks of like playing late nights, um, like communicating via like limited character messaging and, and simple emotes and stuff like that. But most interestingly, I, I played Fantasy Star on a Wii U, which was emulating a Wii, which in turn was emulating a GameCube. <laughs> so several, several generations worth of emulation to get, get down to make this game work. And I found it absolutely fascinating to be in that world because the game's official servers were, were long since taken offline. And yet enterprising fans had essentially reverse engineered the whole thing and were now hosting them privately. People would manage to hack the game's like online pass algorithm to freely allow anyone to log in and play without needing a subscription that you had to pay originally. And, and I found that, you know, the graphics, they looked simple and they were blocky, as you'd expect for a game that's like almost 20 years old now. But even with the limitations of an online mode that was designed to run over like the poorest dial-up internet, it didn't matter. Like it, it was a really, really fun game. And, and when I started playing, once I'd got everything working, like with this daisy chain of consoles all, all emulating inside the Wii U, I was transported back to Highbury. I felt I was back to that poster of, of Dennis Burkamp holding a clunky Dreamcast controller. Hmm. Uh, and it, it took me back to that time when online gaming seemed like it was an exciting new frontier as opposed to like a way now just for children of the world to shout racial slurs at you. <laughs> it, it took me back to a time when you could make these kind of really intense bonds with people oversharing just like a more powerful weapon with a low level player. Um, and it was all taking place in this weird, like gaudy Sonic team designed world. Fantasy Star is it's a simple game. Like it, it's like I said, it's essentially just like an action RPG kind of thing online. You've, you've got four simple areas to play through, like a forest area, a cave area, mine area and, and ruins. Each one has multiple little parts that could be shifted or, or rearranged by the server, depending on your player level. So they were kind of a little bit different each time you played each would have a boss that capped off like that little biome all the bosses felt kind of like massive and almost ripped straight out of sort of sonic adventure had a very similar art style and each had kind of like piles of diablo style loot to scavenge as well throughout these stages and that was what was meant to keep you coming back and and like keep you engaged with the game essentially despite it having this inherent repetition because it's not a big experience in terms of what content was actually available it was a game that i really really loved and like thinking now, I, I physically don't have the time anymore to devote to like a grand MMO that runs for years and years. And despite listening to people like um, CJ, who, who was messaged us before, who hosts the Push to Plat podcast, yeah, he, he loves Final Fantasy XIV and has played that like religiously for a long time. 
uh, and I know it's meant to be great, it's meant to be a fantastic story and a fantastic community and everything else, but I, I can't commit that much time to a game. But for me, playing Fantasy Star Online, especially in 2018, years after the fact, it was just the right size for like a time-poor player like me. And while I could have probably played it for longer, like there were people there to play with, like I could have aimed to hit the level cap for my character, I could have tried out different character classes and whatever, I didn't really feel like I needed to. And, and what I really took from this as an experience was it was like having a perfect early 2000s time capsule that was excavated and restored and, and had this dedicated community still, like people playing nightly. And it's a game that it has this feeling to me that it's, it's very idealistic and hopeful because of that kind of early you know, engagement with the internet. It was futuristic, it felt optimistic. And I mean, the, the only game recently that's captured that same feeling for me was probably Tetris Effect, like I mentioned when I was talking about that a lot there's kind of something hopeful about the way it views the future and, and humans and, and connectivity and everything else. And to be honest, there's not much higher praise I can give than, than comparing Fantasy Star to what is one of my, <laughs> my post list, because obviously it came out after we started this, but generally one of my favourite games of all time in Tetris Effect. Like to play Fantasy Star Online today is, is quite a lot of hassle. As I said, you, you can either kind of stack up a load of consoles like I did in a, in a virtual space to make it work that way, you can find your way into the PC servers, which are still running. But either way, for, for me, to be able to close that loop of, of kind of having seen it when I was, I was young and impressionable and it kind of tying in with all these memories when I was like in my early teens, it was just fantastic to finally have a first-hand taste of, of that game that I saw play on repeat on those demo screens and kiosks. And there's something very special about that experience that even now, obviously years and years on, it had that weird connection to, to Arsenal, it had this weird connection to something that I, I still follow in my life. And it was just because that was that those images seared in my memory for such a long time that the, the whole thing just felt like magic. And it's, it's probably not a game I'll, I'll pick up again. Like, I, I think that two weeks was enough for my whole life, really, to know what it was and, and you know, what it was doing. But I just, I, I really love the experience. Uh, and it's something that obviously I'm speaking about someone who, who didn't play it at the time. I'm sure people who are obsessed, like when it came out in the Dreamcast, have a lot more to say. But for me, it was more just this idea of like, the memory finally resolving itself and being able to take part in something that at the time I, I generally didn't think I ever would be able to. So thanks to the internet because uh, it has it's made things like this possible. And there you go. The internet has a hopeful, futuristic thing. It's still there. That little nugget and gem is still there. That's lovely. Lovely. That's really, That's really, really nice. nice. So I had it on the GameCube. Did you? Yeah. I didn't know you ever did. I did. I obviously didn't play it online Yeah. because there was like a rudimentary like modem attachment you could get for the game yeah. or i mean i was so far away from being able to achieve that in terms of having the physical connection to do it yeah. being able to pay for a subscription knowing what the hell it was and i i, I mean i didn't re- ever get my head around the game i didn't really know what it was i was playing i just knew it was a rpg and i love rpgs and i saw it cheap and i got it I did have a fun time playing it and trying to get my head around it and exploring like the hub and these different biomes and all of this sort of stuff. But um, even though I was engaged with it at the time when it was released, it sounds like in- engaging with it at the time you did made for a much more fulfilling experience. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it it's really really nice to to hear that yeah you managed to you managed to get that and and I'm I genuinely. Uh, lovely sort of memory of, of the relation it has to Arsenal as well. So um, <laughs> It's a strange one, but yeah. it, it definitely has that connection for me. It's always been there. I love it. So there we have it. Another three games, uh, another eclectic trio of classic, enjoyable, video-based entertainment. First of all, we had... F-Zero GX. Ooh. Then we had Thief Deadly Shadows. Ooh. Before finally... Fantasy Star Online. Woo! <laughs> 
<laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do get involved like the podcast subscribe to it leave us reviews get engaged on facebook you can find us on there our three cents visit our patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents and get involved in what we're doing sharing the joy that we're having with it let us know what you think of these games let us know what you think of any games we just love it you can reach out to us individually as well you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges oh i am at clement underscore boo and please do join us next time as we talk about our 48th favorite video games of all time amen window workshop will quote you not hound you <laughs>